Amen. Well, it's got nothing to do with what I want to share, but come with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, let me just have a look at what I... Okay, the title of my message this morning is An Awakened Church. An Awakened Church. Luke 10, 25. An Awakened Church. Yell out when, you, when you're there. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, you know, you know the commandments. And, and then Jesus says, You know, uh, you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But this guy... The Bible says, you know, wanting to justify himself, you know, said, well, you know, who, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into the, the story of the, um, the, product, uh, the good Samaritan. So then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and banged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said to him, well, I guess he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I love that because I'm not sure if you notice what Jesus does there, but he flips the script. The, 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 the lawyer the expert in God's law says, all right, I, I, I hear what you're saying, that I love God and then I love my neighbor as myself. But just, just so, so that we're clear, who, who is my neighbor? Like I share a property line with this guy, but I mean, am I really like responsible for this guy? And what about the guy two streets over? Like, do I... Like, does it stop at the end of my street? Does it go into his street? Like, t tell me, like, how do you? And so Jesus is brilliant because he just pierces through our incredible, entitled, selfish, obnoxious, myopic, me-centric world. And instead of saying, because the question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus actually says, you're the neighbor. He's like, well, hang on, who is my neighbor that I'm responsible for? And she's like, I oh, know you, you got it around the wrong way. You're the, which one was neighbor to the one that was go and do likewise? You are the neighbor that live in a broken world, in a broken community where evil does wicked things, where injustice is all around about us. And I love this story because there's three, three things that... that because uh, I want to be that church. Jesus says, go and do likewise. If Jesus go and do likewise, then we want to be that church. And so that's why I've called it an awakened church. So the, the first thing that, that you probably already know, but, but here we empower people to prosper. 
We empower people to prosper. We get hits on it. We get attacks on it. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm good for it. I, I don't, you know, I listen to the arguments and they're stupid arguments. They're stupid arguments made by stupid people about, about you know, they're, they're a prosperity church and they just preach, they just preach godliness for gain. You know, like, like somehow if you please the Lord, he'll make even your enemies to be a people. Oh, hang on, that's a scripture. Um, no, like, you know, it, absolutely. If you honor God, you will find that his principles bring life. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And he didn't say, I come that you may have church. I didn't come that you may have religion. I didn't come that you may have rules and regulations. He said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. Can I tell you something? I never wake up in the morning and go, man, what I do right now for a joint. I, 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 I don't look at the, the people partying in Vegas. I, I don't think, man, I wish I wasn't, you know, kind of bunkered down, married to Leanne Matezzi. I, I wish I, I was out there playing the field. I wish I was like 55 and dating. I wish I was on the dating circuit, dyeing my hair, working out at the gym, getting a fake tan on and... Like, thank God, thank God, what a miserable, you know, I met someone and they're, they're in their 50s and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, this is my girlfriend. We're, we're probably going to get engaged. I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Like, you're going to get married this year? No, you know, maybe like three years. I'm like, oh, dear God, that poor girl. You're, you're in your 50s and you still can't figure it out, you jackwagon. Like, thank God, like I don't, I don't wake up envying the world one, one iota because Jesus came. If you're doing it right, you've got life and life more abundantly. We were on Coronado last night with the Jaegers. We were driving on the streets in a golf cart. We sat and watched the sunset over the, the beautiful Pacific Ocean while we're eating stunning fish and drinking Aperol spreads. On the weekend, we were out in Yuma, Arizona, on the river, wake surfing with all the clouds and the thunderstorms and playing games and hanging out with the best people. It's like life and life more abundantly. You don't need to look at the world. They're not having a better time in Vegas. Vegas has a, has a slogan, hey, what happens in Vegas? stays in Vegas. No, it doesn't. You carry it with you in your memory, in your shame, in your regrets, in your hang-ups, in your remorse, in your if only. We teach people here that God wants you to flourish. God wants you to prosper. The best of the earth belongs to his children. The best of San Diego belongs to us. If you labor here, Jesus says, who plants a vineyard and does not eat from its fruit? The best of the restaurants, the best of the hotels, the best of the beaches, the best of the walking trails, the best of the hiking trails, the best of the snow, the best of the mountains belong to you. You know, shake off that, that, that religious, 
religious, demonic, lying spirit that wants you to not believe that God wants you to, to have stuff. He wants you to enjoy this world. He created the world to be a paradise and a playground, but it's the wicked that, in, that ruin it. So in this story, Jesus says that we ought to be like the Samaritan. The Samaritan finds the guy, puts him on his own mule, puts oil and wine, which is pretty darn awesome. Well, I don't have medicine, but what I do have is oil and wine. Bring it on. And so he bandages the guy, you know, takes him to an inn and then pays for all his medical expenses. And then he says, listen, you know, if you've got to do an operation, if you've got to set his leg or do a blood transfusion, whatever more you need to have, when I return, I'll pay for that as well. But here's... Here's three months' wages. Two denarii is about three months' wages. So he literally gives the equivalent of three months' wages for a complete stranger he just met. The reason the devil rails against prosperity and the church that preaches biblical prosperity is because he doesn't want the church to be influential. He doesn't want the church to be impacting. He doesn't want the church to be seen as the answer to the injustice, the brokenness, the violence, the, the, the robbery, the thievery, the, the devastation that is going on in the world. But this man was, because he was prosperous, because he was a pathfinder, because he went to pathfinder breakfast tomorrow, because, because he understood that biblical prosperity is I am blessed to be a blessing. He is able to put this guy on his mule, take him to an inn, pay for his medical expenses, give, give a couple of months salary without any questions asked. He's not asking for a receipt. He's not saying, hey, do you mind if, you know, I've got to get that reimbursed. I've got to get it to Jesse. He, he didn't ask for any of that. He pays for it personally and then says, and if there's any more when I come, but this is a complete stranger. How many Christians do you know can pay for a complete stranger's medical expenses? And, and if there's more, if they've got to set a leg or if they've got to do a blood transfusion, can say, well, when I return, you put that on my account also. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to increase. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Can somebody say amen? God wants you to live large and in charge. He wants you to flourish because you are meant to be blessed, to be a blessing. Galatians 3.13 says that, that Jesus became a curse as it is written, cursed is he that hangeth on a tree so that the blessing of Abraham might come to you and I. What is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is you and I are blessed to be a blessing. You ought to be walking in blessing. You ought to be flourishing. The, the, the reason we're able to look after villages in Peru, the reason we're able to look after orphanages in, in Mexico, the reason we're able to help build a hospital in Ghana, the reason we're able to impact regions and cities and have a take over a dying church where the pastor had a breakdown in Salt Lake City and turn that ship around so that every week we have over 90% of the people getting saved are former Mormons coming out of control, coming out of a cult and miracles and healings and marriage are saved and lives change. The reason we're able to do that is because we preach biblical prosperity. All the way through the Bible, you will find that God is a prosper God. All the way through the Bible. When, when, when uh, you know, Jesus fed the 5,000, it was the one miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were unanimous on. Each one of them wrote. It's the only miracle Jesus did that's in all four Gospels. 
Not walking on water, not in all four. Not raising Lazarus from the dead, not in all four. Not opening blind Bartimaeus' eyes, not in all four. But the one miracle that's in all four Gospels is Jesus feeding the 5,000. So if, if, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all unanimous in I'm writing it into my Gospel and Luke's like, I've already got it, you know, write something else. No, I'm writing it as well. What, why is that? Well, the reason they, they did that was because... That they were trying to communicate something. They were trying to bring a breakthrough. God is trying to get our attention. If God has to repeat himself four times, I don't know about you, but I want to lean in. I want to listen. Maybe there's something more than just people getting a, a, a Sunday afternoon lunch, hanging out with Jesus. Maybe there's more there. And the whole, the whole story is that the disciple says, listen, the, the need is too great. Send them away. And Jesus says, no, don't send them away. Sit them down in groups of 50. What have you got? Five loaves, two, that's, bring that to me. Looking up to heaven, he gives thanks, he blesses, he breaks, and he distributes. And the Bible says that all 5,000 men, plus the women and children, maybe up to 20,000 people, ate and were satisfied. And then it says this, and then Jesus said to the disciples, now go and collect the basketfuls of leftovers. This, this, is the, this is the key because you and I, whether you're on a conscious level or a subconscious level, have been taught that God is a just enough God. We've been taught that we should just be kind of content with whatever your lot is and, you know, it, you know, it may break down continuously on the freeways and, but you know what, my treasure's in heaven. Pastor, pray for me. Our, our landlord is selling our homes. So we're going to find somewhere else to live. We don't know where else we're going to live. <laughs> You're meant to be the head, not the tail. So what I want you to notice is most Christians pray for just enough. But, you know, well, you know what? You know what? At will, I'm just believing the Lord, you know, just, just to pay my rent, you know, just to keep the lights on, just, just to have, you know, just enough food on the table. You know, I was, you know, clothes on my back and no, not those shoes. They're from Walmart. No, I want, you know, I, you know, I'm not talking about like Tom Foster Nikes. I'm talking about like, you know, just, I'm just, I'm not talking about designer shoes. I'm talking about the, the whole just enough. Let me tell you, we rage against just enough. We, we, we are on a rampage against just enough because it's not biblical. Jesus says, go and collect the basketfuls of leftovers and they're scratching their heads going, hang on, dude, dude. Five loaves and two fish weren't enough. And you're trying to tell me that everybody ate and was satisfied and people were coming up, heaping up their plates and going back and, and you're trying to tell us that this miracle is so great that it exceeded the need and now there's leftovers. And he's like, exactly. The Bible says they went and they filled 12 basketfuls of leftovers. You can't fill one basket with five loaves and two fish. 20,000 people just ate and now they're filling 12 basketfuls with leftovers. There's 12 disciples. This is not a coincidence. They have to pick those baskets up. The next, the next town is about three miles journey away. They're carrying a basket, which is not, 
which is not kind of comfortable. It's not like a, it's not like a little rucksack. It's not, it's not a rucksack. They didn't fill rucksacks. They had to fill baskets, which is kind of difficult to carry for the next three or four miles because Jesus is trying to get into their heads the gravitas, the weight of what you're carrying. I'm, tr- I'm trying to reprogram and deprogram you that the God that you and I serve is not a God of just enough. He's a God that when He turns up, His signature is He does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. God wants you to flourish because He wants you to get your eyes off you. If you think that it's Christian or biblical or godly to say, Lord, just enough for me and no more, you selfish little git, repent. You are meant to flourish because you're meant to live for something bigger than you. You're meant to make an impact for other people more than you. You are meant to have eyes that look out. You're meant to attract the blessing of God so you can be a blessing to other people. Somebody say amen. All right. How many people can tell I'm a little bit passionate? All right. Number two is an awakened church raises seers. An awakened church raises seers. The Bible says that that a priest came along, saw this guy who had fallen amongst thieves, crosses the street. Pretends he doesn't see. A Levite comes along. See, crosses the street also, pretends he doesn't see. But a Samaritan, and when Jesus tells them the story, they're like, oh, come on, Jesus, what is this Stop on him, come on. They hated the Samaritans. And then Jesus ruins the narrative. The Samaritan comes, bandages his wounds, puts... <laughs> And, and I kind of thought about, I kind of thought a little bit about us. I kind of felt like we're, we're the Samaritan church. Because, you know, we're the unorthodox, we're the foreigners. You know, we're from down under, g'day, yeah. You know, or that awakened church, you know. Have you noticed everybody's good looking? Have you noticed everyone? Look at Letha Hunley. Look at Kayla Harbin. Look at Katie Yeager. Everyone's good looking. Stacey Capaldi, look good looking, good looking. <laughs> we, we, we're the, we're the, they preach that and they do this and, and they're all having fun. You know, they're always having fun. They don't have the real shit. And so, so, he, so they don't, the Samaritan. But I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting, Leanne, that the Levite and the priest chose not to be involved. Here is injustice. He fell amongst thieves, was beaten and robbed and left bleeding and dying on the side of the street. And the priest and the Levite, this is a, a Jew, this is a brethren, says, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't really, you know, get involved in Roe v. Wade. It's, you know, it's not ours to communicate. We don't, we, we, zipper.com. We, we, we don't speak into 
things that could be political. We don't think, you know, Jericho, Jericho is, you know, like it's his own. We don't, you know, we don't want to upset the... It's amazing how many churches and how many pastors won't get their hands dirty, won't get involved, won't get... But I like the Samaritan because he just goes through all of the political nonsense, all of that, and he actually goes and he gets engaged. He gets involved. He, you know, do, do you know what the, his own community was said? You're a Samaritan. We've been oppressed by the Jews for years, and now you're helping one of them. How could you help? But I like him because he breaks the narrative. You know why? Because he's a seer. Because he saw a need. He saw saw brokenness. He said, may our church never lose vision. May our church never lose the prophetic edge. And we lose the prophetic edge when we say we're not getting involved in that, that's political. Or we're not getting involved in that, that's governmental. You know, it's not for us to call out the county supervisors. It's not for us to to, to, to march about the school boards. It's not for us to stand up for, for the unborn babies in the womb. It's not for us to stand up again for traditional marriage. It's not for, no, no, no. The, the day we stop engaging in those things is the day we lose our sight. It's the day that we lose our influence. The Levite and the priest stopped. They chose not to see, so they lost their prophetic edge. Because we choose to see, because we choose to be involved, because we choose to engage, there's a prophetic edge that is on our church. I'm willing to take the persecution and the hits because I know that I serve a God that requires me to see because people are in darkness needing light. They're needing life. They're needing direction. And it's so important for us to see. Can somebody say amen? amen? The longing of the human heart is to be seen. The longing of every human heart is to be seen. This man is, 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 is beaten, robbed, and dying, and people see him but pretend they don't see him. But somebody sees him. Seeing is value. When a little kid, daddy, daddy, look, no hands. They're saying, daddy, see something in me that is praiseworthy. See something. Daddy, I know you're busy. I know that you see the future. I know that you see vision. I know that you see the way to to build your business and prosperity. But do, do, do you see Do you also see in me? It's 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 to to see worth in somebody that hey, I'm gonna stop right now and I'm gonna bandage your wounds and I'm gonna put you on my and I'm gonna take you to the inn and I'm gonna check you in and make sure you're comfortable and then I'm gonna pay the I'm gonna no no I've got it I've got it all. And then if there's any more, put on my account. This this man encountered an awakened church. He encountered a church that we're called to be. Somebody saw me and saw value in me. Do you know God is a seer? Adam, where are you? When Adam sinned, Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. Adam didn't know where Adam was. So Adam, hiding amongst the fig leaves, locates himself with his voice, locates himself with his words. I'm here. 
We heard you, so we hid, because we were naked and we were ashamed. Who told you you were naked? Adam located himself with his words. In, in the movie Avatar, everything shifts when the, when the, the um, Nefiri, Nefiri, whatever her name is, says, I see you, Jake Sully. I see you. And all of a sudden, he, when he realizes that she sees into him, they've got a corrupt agenda. They just want to take all the resources and leave and plunder these poor people. But she sees innate value. She sees innate worth in him. And it changes the story when, when he's seen. Adam locates himself with these words. People do it all the time. This year I'm going to make a million dollars. I've got a fleet of sports cars in Zurich. I walked on them. Like people, pe people, people will talk. People will brag because what they're saying is, will somebody see? Ooh. When you're with people, yeah, you know, this other church, I was kind of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. <laughs> Otherwise, why are you no longer there? And, you know, when you... But pe people, will, people will speak and people will, you know, brag. Really what, what they're saying is, please affirm. Please, do, do, do you see anything of value in me? I love, I love Simon Peter because Jesus says tonight, as the scripture is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. All of you will forsake me and you'll leave me all alone. Yet I'm never alone. The Father is always with me. And Peter pipes up and says, hey, hey, <laughs> Jesus, let me just tell you. Even if these other plebs, even if these others lose, even if these other guys forsake you, not me. Remember, I'm not, I'm not Simon Reed anymore. I'm Peter the Rock. Oh and Jesus is like, oh. He's like, Simon, Simon, before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. When the goes the second time, Peter just denied him a third time. And the Bible says that Peter looked because he was at the end of the courtyard and Jesus was at that end being led away. And the Bible says, and Jesus looked and he locked eyes with Peter. And Peter began to weep bitterly. But you know what? The look, the look that Jesus gave Simon Peter was so powerful because Jesus intentionally sees, he intentionally looks at Peter to say to Peter, I knew you would fail before you knew it, and I chose you anyway. I knew you would betray me. I knew your strength in yourself would fail, and still I've called you. I have not made a mistake. I see beyond. And so when G Jesus is resurrected, he's walking on the beach and Simon Peter comes and he says to Simon Peter, do you love me? He doesn't say to Simon Peter, hey, figured it out? You need to go to Tony Robbins and walk in some hot coals, dude. You need to lift your motivation. You gotta, you gotta get into your A game. He says, Peter, do you love me? I'm not asking you to try to produce perfection because I know you can't. The only thing I'm asking you is to love me.
do you love me? I may fall, I may fail, I may mess up, I may drop the ball, I may make the wrong call, but you know what? Every Sunday, you'll find me in this house. You'll find me with my hands lifted. You'll find me on a Wednesday night in the worship service with my hands lifted, with my voice singing, because the number one thing Jesus needs is my love. He, he doesn't ask for my holiness. He doesn't ask for my perfection. He doesn't ask for my strength. He just asks, do you? The, the reason we do worship the way we do, the reason we write albums, move of heaven. The reason we do that is because the greatest thing that can happen is that you fall in love with Jesus. Love is what fulfills the law. You will find that if you're in love with God, you want to please God. The only time a church is a dangerous place is when there is no love in the people. There is nothing uglier in the earth than a church has got all into religion and into legalism and into law and into do nots and into all of the accoutrements, but has lost its love. Jesus in the book of Revelation rebukes a church. He says, because you've left your first love. He didn't say you lost it. He says, you've left it. We want to make sure that we raise up people in this house who love Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen. And then the, the last one, the last one is that we, we raise people that have purpose with compassion that have purpose with compassion. I love this because he, he, pays the innkeeper, gives him three months' wages, two denarii, and says, and when I return, hang on, what, 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 what hang on, what, what? When I, when I return, if you had to pay for any more, what, what do you mean when you return? G, uh, Lieni went to a, a kind of a pastor's, pastor's wives, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, morning tea, coffee, meeting, and... The kind of narrative went like this. A woman said, I, I just want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And just spend my days with the homeless. And with the down and out. And Leanne's like, where? Where in the Bible? Sorry, I, I, I missed it. Where? And it came to pass that Jesus spake unto his disciples and said, Yea, verily, today, as busy as we are, today we're just going to spend the time with the homeless and the down and out, the marginalized. <laughs> and Jesus sat at the feet and spake nothing but just listened. Just loved on them. Nowhere. Nowhere in the Bible. Does it, but yet that's, that's the Jesus we've recreated. Now you better believe he elevated people. But the people like blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, Jesus was walking out of Jericho. He was walking past most of the miracles were interruptions. Jesus had a purpose, but compassion caused him to engage with broken people as he fulfilled his purpose. Do not misunderstand. We create people to discover God's purpose for their life. And most of the miracles that come will be interruptions and interjections. You were created for divine purpose. Your divine purpose is the mission of God. He says, when I return, if there's, what do you mean when you return? I thought he was, no, no, I have a purpose, but because I have a purpose, 
as a Christian, as, a, as somebody that God is using in this story, I have compassion. So on my journey, on my purpose, I recognize God puts opportunities in here for, for His love, for His power, for His miraculous to be seen. But you better believe it. I have vision, I have mission, and I have purpose. We are a church where we want you to discover your divine calling, your divine assignment, your divine purpose, but you walk with compassion because because God sets up people that are distractions and they may look like a distraction, but they're a God opportunity. Almost all the miracles in my life have been God opportunities. I didn't recognize, I didn't realize, but I was just in the right place at the right time and there was an up and I knew I couldn't step back. I knew I couldn't stop. I was just there and this was no coincidence. We're in Italy and no coincidence in the foyer of the hotel. No, there are no coincidences with God, but you better have a mission and you better have a purpose and you better have a vision and then create that space for compassion. Does that make sense? All right, come on, let's stand to our feet. I'm over time. <laughs> Lift your hands to heaven. I want you just to, just to, just to give yourself permission. Give yourself permission. The Bible talks about the blessing of God being an abundance. Paul says that you may abound in every good work. Abound, abundance means more than enough. Paul says that you may have more than enough for every good work. For every good work. That's God's will for your life. But you, you have to flick that switch. Break off a religious mindset that says, no, 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 you should have just enough for you. That's evil. That's from the pit of hell. The spirit of religion amens that, but it's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does they have just enough for you. We're called to be an awakened church. We're called to be like this Samaritan who recognizes he is a neighbor and everybody else is an opportunity to display and dispense the mercy of God the compassion of God and the heart of God to a hurting, broken community around about him. Smile of heaven is on that man. Father, let the smile of heaven. Father, we break religious mindsets. We thank you that we, we flourish and we prosper because we live for more than just ourselves. We don't live for our next meal and our next rent and our next paycheck. We live blessed to be a blessing. Father, and I thank you, Lord God, we have eyes to see because we engage, we engage in Jericho, thieves, injustice, broken. We, we engage while others don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get stained. They don't want to be ostracized or labeled. See, if the, the Levite or the priest would have helped him because the man had open wounds, that Levite, that priest would have been unclean for 24 hours. He would have had to go through a ceremonial cleansing in order to, he just, no, I don't. There are so many pastors, sadly, that are silent on issues they shouldn't be silent on. And I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not judging them. I'm just sad for them because they don't realize they're diminishing their seer. They're diminishing their prophetic voice. The price of the prophetic is the persecution that comes with engagement into messy things in our culture. Father, let us be a church 
that sees. Let us be a church that sees. That we're courageous enough to engage. We're courageous enough to call out. We're courageous enough to get our hands dirty, to get involved. And Heavenly Father, the last one, Heavenly Father, help us to understand that you have a divine purpose for every single one of us. But in that divine purpose, we recognize you place people that unlocks compassion, that unlocks opportunity for us to minister your heart, to be your hands and your feet to San Diego, to Salt Lake City, to a hurting world around us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.